Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? I hear you have some good news for us. I have some great news. Our download stats are through the roof. Our last episode was almost twice as popular as any of our previous episodes. This is just, you know, this is just what my ego needed. We are, in fact, great, you and me. People give us compliments. Maybe it's time to start believing it. And you know what, Kirk? It's all due to your amazing production skills. We couldn't do this without you. Oh, don't exaggerate. You're going to make my ego go through the roof. I don't. I thought we weren't supposed to have egos in this thing. Well, that's our topic today, isn't it? Ego. Is it? What a coincidence. And uh, let's see uh, if uh, what the listeners think of this one. So, uh, yes, ego. Uh, I was just kidding at the beginning because it's an important principle of Zen Buddhism that when you read good news, take it with a smile and equanimity. But when you also encounter bad news, take it with a smile and equanimity. When someone gives you a compliment, remember that who you are is literally the product of a thousand people who are supporting you and the whole universe, which is supporting your feet. Remember, you're a vessel for all the good things you do. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't feel good about doing good work. You can, but uh, don't let it go to your head. Yeah, it's kind of hard because I don't know about you. I don't often get that sort of compliment like you just gave me. Um, people are generally parsimonious about complimenting, aren't they? Um, well, so I, I, I can understand why some people, when they get compliments, they react a, a bit too much, whereas um, some people don't ever give compliments. And is the person giving the compliment complimenting for their ego as well as for your ego? Well, I'll tell you, there are a lot of people who give me compliments, but there are a lot of people who also give me criticism, sometimes insults. Well, I've seen some of the stuff you put on Facebook, so uh, I understand why. I deserve it. <laughs> yes, I know. I deserve sometimes the insults. I know that. But you know, don't believe your press releases is something my mother told me years ago. Don't believe the PR. And if someone gives you a compliment, maybe they're very sincere about it. Maybe they're just trying to get in your good graces. But you take it with grace. Say, thank you, but I'm just doing my best. And if you're doing your best and trying to be sincere about your work, that's all the reward enough. And if someone gives you an insult, Take it constructively. Maybe there's some truth in there. Maybe the insult is deserved. Maybe it's not deserved. But maybe there is some grain of truth and some room for improvement. So try to keep it with a level head and don't get upset. So the middle way. At the same time, we need to understand how to 
how to take information that we get and and work with it. So I'm just uh, very specifically about the podcast. Our downloads were up, and I was trying to figure out why this morning. I was searching on the internet to see if someone talked about us, and I couldn't figure it out. Um, but in order for us to be successful, we want to make sure we reach as many people as possible. So part of our goal here is to to reach out to people, and it's a good idea to know how to use information to improve what we're doing or refine what we're doing. Well, of course, but I don't feel with this podcast that we're really trying to sell something. We're certainly not trying to make a lot of money from this, not for the amount of effort you put in. You're not making uh, uh, any uh, big fortune with this, but we are trying to turn out something good that will help people. When I do uh, uh, my Zen practice, my Buddhist practice, maintaining a Sangha, it's of course very pleasant and enjoyable to me, and I go there every day. But it's also nice to help folks, and that's the real reward. Uh, it, it sounds corny, but the real reward is just in helping others sometimes. But now I thought the whole thing about Zen was that we're supposed to drop away body and mind, and that means drop away the ego, the self, doesn't it? Yes, but it's so misunderstood, and that's what we have to talk about today. Uh, I just I kind of feel like breaking out in song, please don't let me be misunderstood here. Please don't let me, everything's me, me, me misunderstood. <laughs> you know, the, it's like uh, the, the fellow who points out that if you took all the, the references to I and me and mine out of a sentence, uh, you could, we, we barely could communicate in English. Uh, everything is about me, me, me. It's true. We're all wrapped up in me. And the point of Buddhism is to get away from that. In some ways, we do get away from it completely. In other ways, we keep our me, me, me in moderation. And uh, at other times, we need our me, me, me to live. We couldn't live without a, an ego, but we try to use it wisely. So that's going to be our three themes today. Getting away from the ego, using our ego in moderation, and, uh, oh, and all the damage the ego can do. Just a brief slogan that we could put up on the wall someplace. There's no I in Zen. Yes, there's no I in, or in teamwork. Yes, this is true. Now, a lot of uh, Eastern religions, including, uh, I would say, early Buddhism, thought the ego was really the enemy. And the purpose of it was to completely drop our sense of being a separate self in order, perhaps in the Hindu way, to merge with the cosmos. Or if the Buddha was talking about nirvana, to completely escape this body and sense of self, not to be reborn again. Okay, just let's define ego, because ego has two senses, the way we've been talking about it. The first one was the ego that's boosted, that's your feeling of importance, and the second is essentially the ego in the Freudian sense, the, the self, correct? Well, uh, that's a, this is a big topic, so let, let's talk about this. The ego uh, that I'm talking about in Buddhism just means the sense of being a separate self, in which you feel apart from the world. You're a creature basically living inside your head, between your ears and behind your eyes, with your own body, and somehow everything else in the world, and I mean everything else in the world, is somehow out there and separate from you. And there's conflict between the two. You have your likes and dislikes, and the world doesn't always go the way you wish. 
you uh, have the things you want to attain, and the world doesn't want to always give it to you. So this is the sense of separate self, the ego, which is uh, a problem for us. The other sense of ego comes from that, which is what we would say having a big ego, uh, someone who needs to be pleased, who is selfish, who is always hungry and desirous to feed the ego, to always feeling, let's say, insecure. That is a, a kind of sickness that arises from the first sense of being a separate self. Those are the two senses. We use that in Buddhism generally. So I am one with this microphone that's in front of me. You are. And the stars in the sky. And uh, everything that happened billions of years ago. We talk about that all the time here. That's a difficult concept to grasp when you think about it. Because on the one hand, you can look around you and you can feel connected to your immediate surroundings. I'm sitting in my home office. I'm looking at my walls, my computer, my windows. But the further you go, the harder it is to feel that connection. And particularly people you don't know, people further away from you. You can feel this connection with friends and family, but the more steps people are away from you, it's harder to have that feeling. Well, it's not just about friends and family. It is about everything. It's not a connection. It's an identity. And you said it's hard to think about this. Well, don't think about it. In our zazen, in our zen practice, we realize this by stopping all the thinking in which we feel separate. And when we stop to think about it. The division of self and other softens or drops away, and our ego becomes, as I love to say, it's a beautiful word, permeable. Permeable. The whole world flows in and out, and where we begin and the world ends is just not so clear. I was serious that the whole world is, is supporting us to be here, but in fact, the whole world is us as much as you were joking that you have few hairs on your head. But to whatever hairs you do who have uh, is as much you as this cat that just wandered into my lap here. Hello, <laughs> you little Yuriko. Hello, she came over. Whatever will happen 10,000 years from now is also part of us, as much as your tomorrow is part of you. Ask me if we can live without an ego, Kirk. Well, can we live without an ego? Because some people have the idea that Zen practice is about totally destroying the ego. Is that true? I don't believe so, though I believe that there are some intense meditators in India. I, I've seen, when I went to India, I encountered a couple of these yogis who are really, really, really trying to destroy the ego. And uh, they barely eat, they don't move. I mean, it's, it's very intense. But this is not our way. Our way is, first off, to see through the ego and not be its prisoner. In other words, the excesses of the ego, the excess desire, the excess feelings of lack and the, the feelings of jealousy and friction, these are the problems. But the ego itself is what we need to live. We couldn't get out of bed and put our shoes on in the morning without an ego. Now, Shinru Suzuki Roshi was joking one time, and he said, really, all you need in life is enough ego not to get hit by a bus. <laughs> you know, which is, which is, in a sense, it's true. But uh, you need more than that. We need to have ourself and its likes and its dislikes to make choices. And we have to have dreams that we're working for in order to build things in our life. 
So we need an ego. It's only when it becomes a disease and it, it runs away from us like a wild horse that we need to rein it in and, and keep it tame. It should be more like this beautiful uh, cat that's sitting in my la lap than a, a wild tiger, you know. So we need our ego. Just don't be its prisoner. Yes, we need our ego to appreciate who we are, to appreciate others. And I guess we can't really help others unless we understand ourselves, can we? No, of course not. You, you, you uh, as you say, uh, need to uh, understand yourself. Like uh, in an airplane, they always say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then you can go out and help others. And the lifeguard also has to think about his, uh, where he is, in, in, so that two people don't drown uh, when he goes to rescue someone. So it's important we understand uh, who we are. And most, uh, let me tell you, most Zen people I know, most Buddhist monks definitely have egos. <laughs> now, now, there's a joke I'm going to tell you. I've met a few Zen teachers who have really big non-egos. Yeah, okay. Uh, they preach about uh, non-ego yeah. in such a way, but you can tell they have a feeling of self-importance. It's important, as I said, not to believe your public relations uh, press releases. And if they give you the fancy robe and the big hat, consider it that uh, you're filling in for, you're, you're occupying the position. Uh, the, more, the more that someone praises you, the, the more it's time to be humble, I think. I, I think that was just a wonderful explanation, Jundo. This you're you're one of the best out there for explaining things like that. I am. No, you're no, I am. I am, Kurt. And it's a rare gift I have. Um I want to thank God, but it's really all me doing it. Yes. Send donations to one eight hundred Jundo. <laughs> so what is non-ego? I'm gonna give you a non-answer. Non-ego is uh, perhaps what happens when our sense of dropping the ego away and becoming just a wholeness where the, we're nothing but the whole world, the whole universe, and the whole universe is just us, becomes one with our small sense of being a separate self. So suddenly we realize we're the cosmos and we're a separate individual. And that is a non ego. But there's a difference from narcissism, and I'm going to use fancy words today, solipsism. Solipsism? Yeah, I know. That's the one where you think you, everything is about you, right? Literally, you think you are the universe. But in some ways, aren't we? I'm pretty sure that in one of Uchiyama's books, he said something, and I'm not going to get this entirely right, when you're born, the universe is created, That's and when right. you die, the universe disappears. That's right, and people have asked me about that many times, but you have to understand what he's saying, which I'm, I'm going to explain in a second. When I, but when okay. I, in, in solipsism, you think that you are the one and only greatness, you are God, you are the universe. The, what we're talking about in Buddhism is kind of the opposite. You are the universe's a way of just saying that you give yourself away to the universe. It's not becoming great and grand. It's just becoming everything. And it's a much simpler beauty than uh, the ego of solipsism. But let's get to what Uchiyama meant, that when you're born, the whole universe is created, and when you die, the whole universe goes. He meant that 
you know, in a, we're all in our corner of the one universe that is our universe. It's like a jewel that has many, many facets, and we are one facet of this jewel. Now, that jewel is all of its facets, and each facet is the whole jewel. So for a Buddhist, it's a lot like saying, yes, the, of course we think something was here before we're born, and it is something will go on after, but it will be different. It's not with us. It's not our universe. It's going to be a, a universe without us, and also our little, uh, shall we say, vantage point on the universe will go with us. So that's what Uchiyama meant. So the whole non-ego thing sounds a bit spacey. Are you insulting me? No. Would I do that? Did I harm your ego? How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> so, so this whole non-ego thing, this isn't something that people attain easily. Uh, I mean, through Zazen, we have this sort of gradual softening of the ego, right? It, it's very rare for people to have the ego suddenly explode. Well, I don't know how rare it is. I think uh, for many meditators, this is uh, one of the experiences that is sometimes referred to as Kensho, when this separate self drops away and you realize that all of it is flowing in and through and as you and is you. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite wondrous. And I think many people in meditation experience this. It's not strictly necessary. The softening is uh, enough to when you when you realize that just all the the separation and alienation and uh, uh, angst oh we're using such a, these are crossword puzzle words we're using <laughs> the angst of uh, your feeling isolated in the world it softens drops away flows away and it's uh, everything's okay that's a beautiful experience too well Kensho experiences are wonderful but they're Temporary. I'm talking about like the big, the big Megillah can show. Well, there are folks who who claim that they realize this uh, oneness all the time, that they've completely lost their ego. I think that uh, if you you find a guru who claims he's completely beyond ego, uh, keep your hand on your wallet. <laughs> That's my usual. I mean, they may be out there, and yes. this is where I'm going to get insulted by people who I who say I don't understand their particular favorite guru. We're going to get letters. Uh, because yeah. uh, there yeah. are all kinds of people out there claiming to be completely beyond ego, and yet they're somehow functioning and raising money and buying airplane tickets and doing all they do. Even the Buddha, who is said to have been completely beyond ego, he walked across India, he made plans, he uh, he obviously was teaching, he'd get up in the morning. So uh, the I think saying that the Buddha was completely beyond ego is a misunderstanding too. The Buddha kept his ego in check. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. If Let's assume that you are an enlightened being and you have dissolved your ego. And Thank you, I do. I do. I do assume I am an enlightened being. In fact, I'm a totally enlightened being. I'm the first person, in fact, who has ever understand, understood Buddhism properly. Okay. In fact. So, but that's our right, next episode. Be... Yeah, that'll be the the the, <laughs> the bonus episode. No, my my point was going to be yes. that let's assume that you have dissolved your ego. In order to function in this world, you still have to live in this world, and you still have yes. to be solipsistic in some ways because 
This is just the way we interact with other people. In other words, what, what we're talking about is an, a wonderful concept, but that doesn't take the trash out. Well, let's, let's look at Shinru Suzuki Roshi, who said famously that you only need enough ego to not get hit by a bus. But he was a man who, in many cases, was driven. And he, he actually admitted, if you re re read his life story, that he was so driven sometimes that he, he literally destroyed his family. Uh, he, he felt very bad at one time that uh, because he uh, made a decision to bring a man into their temple who his wife was against, uh, his wife was killed. In uh, Yes, the man actually murdered his wife. I didn't know while, that. While Suzuki was off getting training somewhere. The man, um, uh, and Suzuki came back to find his wife uh, uh, had been uh, slaughtered. And uh, then uh, Suzuki also made the decision to leave part of his family and come to America. And he made the decision not to go back to Japan and to stay and build. And then they said, well, just teach the Japanese people their temple uh, priest. They need a temple priest. And he said, no, I want to teach Zazen to foreigners. So he fought the system. He was a man who had his own ego, but he used it for good purposes. And uh, from people who have. Uh, known him. I, I never met him. He was before my time, of course. But uh, I understand he was a lovely and gentle man. See, that's an interesting concept, that, that what we call skillful means, that people may seem to be acting according to their ego in ways that could be excessive, but they're really doing it for a purpose. But on the other hand, as we've mentioned a couple of times, some Zen teachers, Buddhist teachers, will actually pretend that they're using skillful means in order to manipulate people. It is um, possible to employ these teachings or your position as a teacher to manipulate people's egos, to feed them. Uh, it, it's a famous thing that uh, you, you in the temple you can give rewards or, or offer criticisms in a, in a cult-like setting in order to make people do your will. Uh, you can find those who are vulnerable in their ego uh, because they've suffered trauma and manipulated uh, in order to do damage and harm and, and, and to create people who are basically an army of slaves. You can do this. This is how cults work. And if you are in the uh, Eastern religions field, like I am, you have to watch very carefully to make sure you're not engaging in cult-like behavior you're not manipulating people. I get people all the time who come to me and literally want to give me their life. I think they would. They say, oh, I need an answer. You're the answer. Tell me. I'll do what you wish. I'll come and I'll shine your shoes every day and I'll live in your garage and walk the dog, whatever you wish. And I say, no, no, no. I you need to build your ego yourself. Don't look to someone else to do it. It's very dangerous. But this isn't just the province of Eastern religions. This is the province of all religions, that once you're looking up to an authoritarian figure, um, the power dynamics come into play, and they could go a lot of ways, depending on the person in power and the person who's inferior. Well, it happens in business, too, and it's happening in politics. People are getting their egos manipulated and fed. Uh, being told what they want to hear—it's very, very different. You know, don't tell people what they want to hear. 
even if we want to do that, we were talking about what can what themes can we have in the podcast to attract more listeners? You know, in a nice way. We're not Extract trying to, you know, isn't the people. right word. Yeah. Reach more listeners. How about our next episode, Kirk? How to how to like make a killing in Las Vegas? That would get <laughs> listeners. You know? That would. would really get listeners. Zen poker. <laughs> but uh, there's one th- one one thing I want to caution about too. When I when I do these uh, teachings on non-ego, they are dangerous for a few people. And I learned this, and I just want to mention this. There are people who truly have fragile egos or a soft grip on their own self. Often they're victims of trauma. I am not a professional psychologist, but I want to say this. There are people maybe listening right now who don't have a good sense of their self. They have been pushed around or hurt very much in their life. You know, those people, I want to say, would you please build up your ego a little bit and have some more confidence and feel good about being you? But of course, be you in a good way. Yeah, that's not always easy, though, is it? If someone's kind of confused about who they are, it's difficult for them to settle down and decide who they are. Well, get some counseling if you need. If you're a, my like my teenager, he's trying to figure out who he is. I tell him, just uh, you'll figure it out with time. Give it some time, but just stay on the good the good path. Yeah, it's a good point about teenagers. I think the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until around age twenty five. So you can tell teenagers anything, and they just won't listen to you. My son knows how to manipulate my ego too. He just says, uh, <laughs> "You are the greatest dad." Did I ever tell you that? I say, "How much you want?" <laughs> What do you want? (laughs) Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? Oh, someplace good, because this is the greatest podcast in the world! (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.